say, Brother Donnie, it's a little bit hard for me to praise him under these circumstances. But I don't figure any of us have got it as hard today as Paul had it. When he was in a Roman dungeon. No family, no friends, no air conditioner, no preachers to encourage him. But yet Paul from there said, in all things, I give thanks. Well, it's good to be here today, isn't it? Let's turn to the book of Ruth, if you would, again today. Ruth chapter 4. Now, I know it's a little warm. Brother J.D. said they're getting the maintenance people to come and help us. I think the last service is a little cold. This morning, it's a little warm. It looks like to me that the Lord is kind of working on all of us to get us out of our comfort zone. Y'all going to be so happy when we move in our new place, aren't you? Wow. Even some of you that wasn't happy about it is going to be happy. Amen. I want to say how much I appreciate these um, brothers here too for having to move all this stuff around, don't you? Amen. Amen. After service today, they got to move it all again and then set it up again before Wednesday service. So um, we certainly appreciate that. Um, and we've got a reptile show going on over there. So it's the serpent people over here, the serpent bruisers over here. So if you see anything crawling underneath the door, don't worry, I'll let you know. I'll be the first one to scream. I don't care what the name are, what color they are. They can all cause heart attacks. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, Ye are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren. And from the gate of this place, ye are witnesses this day. How many would like to be remembered today as we ask the Lord to help us in the word? Let's just bow our heads together if you would. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, that we can be able to live in this end time. We're grateful, dear God, that you have dealt with our hearts, our lives, that you have helped us, Lord Jesus, to come out of this world of darkness. We're so thankful, Father, to know that this great light of the end time is shining and permeating every heart that will allow it to do so. As we've gathered here today, Lord, we've Come that we might open our hearts and our lives into your presence. We're such a needy people today. But we know that our God is greater than all of our needs. So we pray for the sick among us today. We pray for those who, Lord, would love to be here and cannot. May the presence of God just minister to every one of your children around the world today, Father. 
For it's in the name of the Lord Jesus we ask it. And the saint said, Amen. Y'all knew better now. And the saint said, Amen. Ah, that's better. God bless you. You can be seated. Question and answers for the youth tomorrow night at 6.30 at the Manual School of Religion up on top. If you don't have the address, see one of the deacons, I think, Brother Rob generally sends out a text for all of that. <clears throat> we won't be having supper, but uh, we'll be having, uh, you'll have to get your own supper, I guess, and then we'll have a time to spend together. Ruth is back at Naomi's house. By this time, she's probably very anxious and wondering where everything is. He didn't have any way to message her or text her or email her or call her. Her heart must have been racing, fluttering, anxious beside herself. But somehow, in spite of all that, a deep trust and a rest. I'm glad to have it that way. She wondering what her end was going to be, her destiny. No doubt it was hard for her to believe that God had brought her this far and that he wouldn't take her the rest of the way through. I believe the same thing today. But I still have times when I wonder what's just around the curve. I have no problem with my destiny. I have no problem in where I'm going to go. But I do get a little bit anxious sometimes in the journey getting from here to there. Anybody else with me? Because there's something about it as human beings that we tend to do that. I I can imagine that Ruth was exactly the same way. But my mind goes back today farther back than just here in the book of Ruth. The book of Judges uh, precedes the book of Ruth, um, not only in your Bible, but also time-wise. And the book of Judges was a book that was up and down, in and out, as far as the lives of people. People that would serve the Lord for a while, and then the very same ones would raise up an idol, as they did in the, in the tribe of Dan, as they did in different judges that was there. God would use them, and they would get away from his program, and they would backslide, and they would become the very instrument that Satan would use to lead idolatry back into the tribes of Israel. So the book of Judges was not a great encouraging book. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that there was no open vision during that time and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I hope you understand we're back in the book of Judges again. Because no matter how many scriptures you show people, it's sad to say even in the message of the hour, how many quotes you show them, they're pretty much going to do what they want to do. That's just the way of rebellious man. But we, we go from that part of history and the book of Judges into this book of Ruth. And I'm so grateful that there are intervals of God's grace that whenever we see the works of man and the failures of man, it can be pretty discouraging and disheartening. But we go from that book of Judges 
into this book called the book of Ruth. And I, I love this book not only because it's the book of redemption, but because we go from the book of Judges and you look at the title of that book, the book of Judges. So Samson judged Israel, Gideon judged Israel, Barak judged Israel, uh, Jephthah, the different ones that was there. And yet it's more about their works. But when we come to the book of Ruth, her book has a different name. It's not just about the works of this one and the failures of that one, but it's about a woman. It's entitled after a woman who is going to be in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Yet looking at it, it would seem impossible because of where she come from. And looking at her history, uh, you know, being the daughter supposedly of the king of Moab, being raised an absolute heathen, despised and rejected, coming to the land of Israel, they wouldn't even speak to her, have nothing to do with her. But yet, as we already know, we might look at people today and judge them today, and by Wednesday night, that person can be so transformed, we hardly even know them. Truly, that's the way it was with Ruth. But I want to run back just a little farther even than judges to where that our father had this great plan in his mind. And when I become discouraged and overwhelmed with life and things as we often do, I like to go back to this setting because it helps me to understand when things are going wrong and things are seemingly upside down, as we would say. And we can't make sense of it all. That Father has a plan so much greater than what ours is. And it actually did not start whenever I was born, when you were born, but it started before the foundation of the world. The, the setting of the book of Revelation chapter 5, which is where Brother Branham deals with in, in this so many times in his ministry. It's a time setting that's pretty hard to identify because we know visions are able to go way back this way up here to the present and can go way over here in the future. So whenever we look at some of this in uh, the Bible, it is a little bit more difficult to place it all. And it's the same with what we want to catch a glimpse of today. Many people preach the cross from a closed book. They preach the cross before an open understanding of Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 10. And I, I know that because I used to preach it the same way. But I desire to preach the cross not from a closed book, but rather from an open book. I don't want to preach the cross just from a historical value. I want to bring every aspect of grace and mercy and justice and all that, that God did at the cross, I want to bring that into view. But I also want to couple the works thereafter with what God did, with what the Lamb must do after the cross in order for the cross to have complete success. 
because I, I personally believe and think I can prove it by the scripture that the cross itself was certainly the open door, the bridge that would lead us across the chasm by the price that was paid. But the price being paid was not enough to bring us back to our full inheritance. It took another step which could not take place at the cross itself. You see, the lamb could pay the price in so much that he could say it is finished. But what was finished? What was done at the cross? The price was paid, but the book was not there. So the book could not be taken. The lamb that had given his life at the cross had done so as a sinner. I know it's going to be tough on you this morning, but it's the truth. The lamb did this with a curse on him. He took our place and made a way for us to be reconciled, but the book must be taken by a righteous one. And the lamb could not do it at the cross because he became a curse for us. Now, think whenever the title deed of the earth and all of our inheritance and everything that went with that was forfeited by Adam, it could not go into the filthy hands of the devil, but it went back into the hands of Almighty God. What for? Well, the parallel is exactly to Ruth sitting in the house of Naomi. She is sitting there. She's done everything she can do. Everything on her part that was required. And now she's entering into the third stage of this. And that is rest. She must now depend totally on the providence of God. And believe that Boaz will do everything else. So what's she waiting for? Redemption's claim. Redemption's Claim. Now there's a difference in being redeemed and waiting on redemption's claim. Now she's obeyed everything Naomi told her to do. But yet Naomi did not tell her to do one thing that Boaz was supposed to do and vice versa. And it's the same with us that God does not expect us to do anything that the Lamb is required to do. But We know that the lamb will not do our part. The pastor can't, your wife can't, your husband can't, but there's things we must do. Is that right? I want you to notice this, that the prophet says the original, the book went back into the hands of the original owner, Almighty God. The title deed to the earth and to eternal life, Adam forfeited it. Then Satan's dirty hands could not take it. So it went back to the hand of the original owner. What's it doing? It's in the hands of God waiting for redemption claims. Now the book then, the title deed to eternal life, to all the things that was ours prior to the fall, was now in the hands of Almighty God. Waiting for what? Waiting for redemption's claims. Now remember, waiting for redemption's claims, not justice claims, not vengeance claims, not judgment from the heart or the very law of God rather, but mercy from the heart of God. 
So there must be one that would be found worthy to make the claim for himself, no, for us. So Ruth is there waiting. What's she waiting for? Redemption's claim. Now Boaz is telling the people at the gate of what he's going to do. The people at the gate will also tell him back and they will testify of what God is going to do. We'll get into it a little later. But it's absolutely phenomenal the way they enter into the spirit of prophecy and they begin to say the great things that God is going to do through Ruth. Probably a lot of them didn't even believe it that God could have ever done such a thing to a Gentile. But yet it was God's work the whole time. Now he said, what's it doing? It's in the hands of God waiting for redemption claim. He made a way of redemption. He made a way back. But it's still someday the Redeemer is to take it. So it's waiting for redemption's claim. So what is that book? It's the title deed to your promise of eternal life. So after Ruth does her part, the only thing she can do is wait for her Redeemer to claim what he has already redeemed. So she's there in the waiting period, being nervous and anxious, waiting for her husband-to-be to come. Now she doesn't know the outcome yet. She's not even sure that he's going to be her husband because she hasn't heard back from the way the judgment went. You see, there's one person standing between Ruth and a body change. One person standing between Ruth and a body change. And that one person is told. He is the one that has the claim against her. Now her body change is not that she's going to be changed back to a young woman in that scenario. But her body change is this. She's going to get a husband and she's going to get pregnant. And her body is going to be changed by that child growing inside her body. And there's one person standing between her and Boaz changing her body. And that is the one that had the claim on her, which in our case was the devil. Is that right? Now, our kinsman redeemer. Now, notice we move from the cross and our, our Lord Jesus is raised from the dead. Now, if you understand this, that he had to die out of the presence of God. He had to die without the Father, the Spirit, God being able to dwell in him. As a matter of fact, the prophet tells us the anointing left him in the garden of Gethsemane and he died the death of a sinner. Friends, don't you understand why God will justly send people to hell? They have turned down such an offer that God made them. The Lamb of God, not, not just stood there and was beaten and whipped and all of that, but he actually died a horrible death of a sinner. So you wouldn't have to. Now notice he says our kinsman is handed the seven sealed book of redemption from the original owner. So there's a poacher that's been on the land and the claim of eternal life. Now he's actually a squatter, he has no title deed. He has no way to prove that he owns it, but he claims that he does. But yet the title deed was actually handed to the Redeemer in Revelation chapter 5. So here's the span of time from the cross 
under Revelation chapter 5. Now, all these years goes by from 33 and a half A.D., something like that, till John moves over to the Isle of Patmos in 96 A.D. Paul doesn't mention anything about the Lamb taking the book. Paul doesn't even mention the seven church ages. You all know that? Paul did not mention the seven seals. Luke did not mention the seven seals. So we see that God allows or allocates his word to a certain time frame. Paul never even knew anything about the seven seals as far as we know. The 12 original apostles never knew nothing about it. The 120 on the day of Pentecost never knew nothing about it. Luther, as far as we know, never preached it. But it was saved for when? The last day in your time. You are a blessed people. But notice whenever we go to reading about the effects of the cross and the works of the cross and the apostolic era that they're writing of course from what God had revealed to them but none of them refers actually to the title deed which was in heaven. And they know the Lord Jesus come to the earth and gave his life and then he went away and they begin to preach of course his coming that he was coming back to the earth but it was as if though God kept this back the mystery that was going to be revealed of what went on once he left here and went up to heaven. Well we know that God had to perform this great work that the justice of God must be met. So God uh, gives his law and God cannot just take that law and throw it away or turn his head to it well I'll act like it doesn't exist God cannot do that but the justice of God must be met that could only be met in a redeemer notice the prophet says it this way Jesus Christ met the justice of God he required death and he died the innocent for the guilty he goes on to say heaven and earth kissed each other God and man was reconciled together. Again, he says, when the dove and the lamb come together, heaven and earth kissed, man and God were reconciled. Now, many can be able to preach that, that there was a great reconciliation which took place at the cross. But many what they failed to preach, and it's so sad because you realize it, it's also on our ranks as well, that they feel like you're trying to take something from the Lord Jesus when you bring him down to the level that he chose to come to himself. You see... People say, well, Brother Donnie, that bothers me when you preach that Jesus was a sinner. Well, don't let what I say bother you. It was his own actions that did that. I'm only telling you what he done. So actually, you're not bothered by what I'm saying to you. You're actually bothered by what he himself did. He allowed himself to kick off his glory. He allowed himself to step to a place that no one could never step to. But now remember, the book was not at the cross. So the title deed was nowhere to be found on Calvary. The book of redemption was not at the foot of the cross, at the head of the cross. It was not tacked through his hand and the Lord Jesus had it under his arm and he's hanging there. The book, the title deed was in heaven. Even if the title deed would have been there, he could have not even taken it into his hands by the time we get to the setting of the cross. Because by that time the anointing had already left him and the curse of our sins were already placed upon him. 
There must be a righteous kinsman to be able to take the title deed. I hope you understand this. By the time the Lord Jesus comes to the cross, he is no longer righteous. That's staggering. He is no longer guilt-free. Isaiah 52, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This word is to encounter, to meet, to make intercession, to join. So the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Had the book been there, the Lord Jesus, Harry couldn't even have taken it into his hands. Hands that had never done wrong. A mouth that had never said anything wrong. But because of what God needed to be done at the cross, the phase of the book being taken could not happen at the cross. It had to happen in heaven. Now, watch this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on the tree. Now, this is the part of redemption that the majority of Christendom can understand. They will accept the fact that the Son of God was able to take and stand in a substitutionary place and that God accepted his life for theirs. But do they realize how low he stepped? How far down beneath his own position in the presence of God and lay aside so much of the deity of his character? Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh, praise the Lord. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So here he hangs on the cross not a righteous man a sinner a curse spirit God could not even look on him. Because God cannot look on sin. If it were not for the blood of Jesus this very day, God would have already destroyed the people of this earth. But the bumper of the blood is still there to protect it until the last name has been fully redeemed. Won't you notice this in demonology? If I could think of how that Jesus, when he died, he went and preached to the souls that was in prison. He died a sinner, knowing no sin, yet our sin 
was upon him. And God for his sins sent him to hell. God for his sins sent him to hell. Now he never done anything. You understand that. He never done anything wrong. His sins were not his by actions or behavior. They became his because he did what Adam did for his wife. He walked out guilty. And he walked out in his wife's stead. So he become your sins that you might become his righteousness. My goodness, why won't I love him today? Why shouldn't I be grateful? Why shouldn't you be grateful? Brother? Every, every breath of the life that God's given you, you owe him your entire life, your entire being for him to become such a thing for us. Now, can you imagine that he actually becomes sin? Now, you know, as I read this and I studied and as I look at it, and you look at the theologians and you look at the preachers and, and those that simply just cannot come down to the spot to where they can take God at his word and believe that he himself not only had it on him. You see, some want to take it this way that sin was this, as if though it were a blanket or a cloth and that he simply put that upon himself and it, it did not taint him. He did not become that, but you cannot read that in the scripture. He actually became a curse and died out of the presence of God. So you see, the work that was finished on the cross had to be consummated when the Lamb takes the book in Revelation chapter 5. And for those in Christendom who see no value, no importance whatsoever of Revelation chapter 5, you know how many Christians are, the, the book of Revelation, well, it's a complete book of mystery. They don't even understand it. Many of them don't even read it. I hope you're not that type of a Christian. Because we believe it contains for us our identity, our, our origination, our life now, and where we're going when this life is over. But it also contains more of a message than just the cross. It contains the book of redemption. Watch this again, the prophet. I'll tell you, some of these is very hard for me to read. Our loving Father, we thank you tonight for thy love that sent the Son of God from glory to earth to become sin. And tonight with our throne blessings in our heart, I love that, with our throne blessings in our heart by his grace to know that we were sinners and he came and took our place and died as a sinner. It was so terrible that the angels had to turn their backs from him. It was so terrible that Spirit God had to turn away from what hang on the cross. You see, the angels did not turn because they felt so sorry for him, but because it was 
a body that had now become the body of a transgressor. Father God did not turn because his being was so broken because of the scars and the blood and the pain and the agony. But what Father God saw on that cross was a man that had become every sin that would ever happen on the earth. Lord God, he died as a sinner, died in my place. He died my death at Calvary. He died all of our deaths at Calvary. Is anybody grateful for that today? Think of it, because he died the death of a sinner. You won't have to. You'll be able to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You understand, Jesus could not quote that. Jesus could not quote Psalm 23. He had to quote Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, we all love Psalm 23, but I'm telling you something. If there had not been a Psalm 22, you and I would not be able to enjoy Psalm 23. He could not quote Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He could not say that. But he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All my bones, they stare at me. All my joints are out of joint. They pass by and they wag their heads. Hallelujah. And yet as great as that was, our redemption would not have been complete had he not took the book of Revelation chapter 5. Notice this, Christ represented himself with the church full of sin and was condemned. The Lord Jesus allowed himself to be condemned. I hope you understand what I'm fixing to say. He could not have went to hell if he was pure. Lord God. (laughs) His soul went to hell. But God raised him up on the third day. And just so you know, I'm not making that up. He went on to say, God wouldn't have sent him to hell. Pure. He had to send him to hell condemned. Condemned. No wonder he hated to face Calvary. Knowing what lay before, not just the pain, not just the agony, not just the sorrow, but becoming condemned 
unrighteous. Let me know what it's like as a Christian when you do something wrong and how bad you feel for it. Whether you say a word or think a bad thought or just whatever, you, you feel so terrible. You know what I'm saying? That conviction of the Spirit of God, can you imagine? Then if God played, placed every homosexual act on you, every act of adultery, every murder, every lie, every sin that was ever committed, and God laid that on you, and all of a sudden you felt like a pervert. You felt like an adulterer. You felt like a bank robber, a murderer. You felt like the greatest liar that ever lived on the earth. And that terrible feeling was all on you. And all of a sudden you move from being this innocent, holy saint that loves God and worships God and then God has left you. And you feel like the biggest pervert that ever lived. The biggest liar that ever took breath. Can you imagine when the anointing leaves him? I'm not sure when the transfer took place. I know that the lamb and the goats, of course, in the Old Testament, when a believer would bring a lamb and the believer would make his transferal and the believer would take his hands and lay it upon the head of the lamb as the priest would cut its throat and his sins were actually transferred. The goats and the time of the scapegoat And the high priest would take the sins of the people in a symbolic way and lay his hands on the goat and turn the goat loose. And the goat would roam around in the wilderness. You imagine he's just a goat. He's just born like any other goat until they pick one out. And they come and transfer all the sins of millions of people upon that goat. That goat don't even have a soul. But it must have been such a heavy burden on that dumb animal that that goat did never feel the same again. He felt so odd and so peculiar. But can you imagine leaving the praises of angels, the adoration of heaven, the glory that you shared with the Father before the world began. You come to the earth, you do His work so perfectly that the Father can say, this is my beloved Son. You follow it to the letter. You do not break one shot or one tittle and all of a sudden the anointing leaves you and you feel like the awfulest, most horrible, most wretched mortal that ever drew a breath. The prophet said God wouldn't have sent him to hell pure. He had to send him to hell condemned. (laughs) Because he took our sins. Christ died not righteous. (laughs) Not righteous. Christ died a sinner. A sinner. Not righteous. Not holy. Not pure. But filthy. 
And yet, as great as that was, the book still had to be taken. You see, redemption is broken in parts. I hope this helps you to understand where we are and where many of us have been for decades in our life after we give our heart to the Lord and we become filled with the Holy Ghost and we go along in life's journey and we're waiting. It's not we're waiting for something and we are. We're waiting for a transition. We're waiting for a fullness. We believe we've got a down payment. We've got something that's already there. Look at the stages of redemption and you'll identify yourself. When the Lord Jesus bows his head and he says the word, it is finished. But what was he referring to? What was finished? Well, it wasn't the book yet. And it certainly was not that you were finished. It was certainly not that the church ages are finished. They had not yet even started. What was finished? The purchase price of redemption. The bill had now been met. The justice of God had now been met in the person of Jesus Christ. But as far as the work of redemption, there's going to be 2,000 years of that work that's going to be ongoing after he says it is finished. And here we sit here today in this building. Are we still struggling? Yep. Are we still battling? Yep. Are we still dealing with things? But the price has been finished. The price has been paid. But the book is still in the hands of the original owner. In Revelation chapter 5. Let me go on. The kinsman of Redeemer says, Jesus the innocent one, the God of heaven who didn't have to die, come down and made a public testimony, stripped his clothes off of him and hung him between heavens and earth in shame and died a sinful, shameful death. Friends, you, you understand he didn't die the death of a sinner because he'd done anything wrong. He died the death of a sinner to take your place. So any of us that go by the way of the grave, we don't have to die the way he died, the death of a sinner. But we can die the death of a saint. Think of it. He was deprived to die the death of the king of saints, but died the death of a sinner. Look at the contrast. He was wounded so you could be healed. He was chastised so you could be delivered. Amen. He died so you could live. Look at the opposites that he must take within his own being. Then really what price is too great that he would ask of us? Well, I want you to quit cutting your hair. Oh, Lord, I, I don't want to cut. But Lord, I don't want to give up my makeup. I don't want to quit smoking. Lord, you're not even worthy to walk down streets of gold. I'll tell you, there's no price the Lord Jesus can ask of any of us that is too great. Oh, my. Died a sh sinful, shameful death to redeem us. He kicked off his own righteousness and died the death of a sinner. Lord God, he laid all of his dignity aside and become a sinner. Oh my goodness. The wrath of God was poured upon him and he died at Calvary. 
the death of a sinner to take your place. And here we are, saved, sanctified, many of us sitting here today with the Holy Ghost. And where are we in this stage of our journey? Well, we're sort of like Ruth was in Naomi's house. We're still in our house, a prison. How many knows it's a pest house? Some of you young people didn't raise your hand. You think it's still good. Huh? Well, I'm telling you, you wait to get my age. To be honest with you, you don't have to wait to get as old as I am. Just wait to get past 30 and you'll recognize it. It's a pest house. But is this the end? Is this the end of it? Do, do, is there no hope? There is a hope, my brother and sister. And what are we waiting for? The redemption of our bodies. Notice how the prophet breaks into this. You know, this is one thing that I, I recognized years and years ago when I first came to the message. I'd heard about the Lord since I was a little boy. But the image that I had of God was totally different than the image that Brother Brandon preached. And I love to hear him pray and I love to hear him talk about the Lord because the way he talked about the Lord was so different than I ever knew him before. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, many of you young people, you've been raised in the message and you can't even really relate to what I'm talking about. But the way I heard God and the way God was preached was so different than I heard Brother Brandon bring it. And this is one thing that made me fall in love with the Lord Jesus even more so after I came to the message of the hour. Because it brought the Lord Jesus in a light that I had never seen him before. Don't you understand why we needed the book to come open to show us the Jesus of the denominational world is not the Jesus of the bride. The Jesus that many people think, well, that's the Jesus, but he's not the God of the Bible. My God is one that was so willing to stoop down and take upon himself a human body and become a sinner. That's my God. That's my Redeemer. I don't know if it's been a while since you've listened to this sermon or not, but it's a powerful one. Preached in 1953, the cruelty of sin. And the penalty that it costs to rid sin from our lives. It's quite a title, but it's quite a sermon. But then the skies begin to get dark. Lightning begin to flash. God was hiding his face. He couldn't stand it no more. Oh, oh God, how cruel sin must be. How cruel, how cruel. Even such a price he paid to God himself hid his face the angels veiled their faces and turned around the moon and the stars couldn't go any farther they couldn't shine no more oh my lord so it would have done no good for the book of redemption to have been hanging there near him or for Peter or John or anyone else to be even an angel to have the book and hold it there and say, now Lord Jesus, it's finished. Now that you've shed your blood, take this book. He would not have been allowed to touch the book. Till after his resurrection. Now he goes down into paradise. Now we know God created seven dimensions in the beginning. Light, matter, time. Science, where the unbeliever goes, where the believer goes, and where God is. God knew man would need dimensional travel 
God also knew he'd need prophets and they would need the ability to peer into the realm of vision, which is the fourth dimension. That's where diseases began. That's where science and all that stuff, that's where it comes from. So man is able to tap into part of that. So God knew that man would fall and he must have a place before the shedding of the blood to keep the souls of the righteous. So he made a place called paradise. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, the elect of God, that's where they went. They could not go straight into the presence of God because there was no substitutionary blood that would allow them to go in there. So it's a place that was held as it was next door over to the regions of the lost. In the book of Luke, Jesus gives us a parable of the rich young ruler that after he had left this life and lived this many years of his life later when he goes to die. And he goes into that realm. In that realm, they have memory. In that realm, they have recall. In that realm, they have recollection of even family members and so on. But yet, the Lord Jesus in this parable shows us how that there was a place called paradise. And there, of course, the poor beggar opened up his eyes and he was comforted. And the rich man right across the gulf was on the other side seeing him being comforted, part of their torment. So as he does, he said, Father Abraham, even after his his death and all of that, still claiming Abraham was his father, Father Abraham, uh, I I pray you would send Lazarus to be able to come and just, just dip his tongue. Now you imagine the flames and the pain. Just dip his finger in the water and come down and put it on my tongue because I'm so tormented in these flames. And of course the Lord Jesus gives a parable. Now he's showing us a realm that did exist. And the Lord Jesus is going down to empty out paradise, but he's also got to make one stop first. That is to the gates of hell. Now he goes to the gates of hell and there he's going to meet him. Somehow he's also going to stop by to preach to the souls that were in prison. I'm not sure when it happened, but sometime during this transition and this journey, The sins that was placed upon him were deposited somewhere down in hell. Well, glory. Hallelujah. He could not have walked up to the door of hell and met Satan with such authority in his voice as an impure lamb. He could not have walked up to Satan and said, give me the keys. If he was still in that image that hung on the cross. But somehow, Brother Nathan, he had laid aside that our sins had been deposited somewhere. Amen. And by theophany, he now goes, glory to God, he now goes into that realm and he preaches to the lost and then he goes over there to the gates of hell and Satan comes and he reaches inside of there and jerks the keys off of his side and the prophet said he kicked the door of hell shut and shook everything off the walls in hell. Well, glory to God, that's my mighty conqueror, ain't you? No doubt the devil's so proud and so arrogant, every room in his house has got pictures of himself. He's the king of selfies. So he's got a picture of himself doing this and a picture of himself doing that and a picture of himself doing all these things. And Jesus said, here goes your selfies, devil, and here goes yourself. 
Hallelujah. Why? Because now he had done what the Father ordained him to do and he's changed clothes and he's went back into the theophany which is the word form body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He goes over into paradise. Ezekiel, Abraham, we don't know. One of them goes and opens the door. He said, my Lord. Ezekiel said, it's that wheel in the middle of the wheel I saw. And Abraham said, Sarah, come over. Jacob, Joseph, here they were. Oh my, what is he? The mighty conqueror has arrived. But notice, he still didn't have the book in his hand. He didn't need it for that stage of the journey. But can't you see he needed it in this stage? Praise be to God. Why? The boot must be taken to forerun the resurrection and the rapture. Did you see why? He didn't need to do it so much in the days of Paul. In the early days of the martyrdom of the saints. But before there can be a rapture, the lamb's got to get the book in his hands. Praise be to God. He could not take it at the cross because he was not pure. You're doing good. You're doing good. You'll come to after a while. You're in shock, I know. He could not take the book until he was righteous again. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth. Notice, he didn't enter into the places on the earth. We have no record when the Lord Jesus was here, he ever went into Herod's temple. They wouldn't have allowed him to be in Herod's temple because he was not of the right tribe. He didn't come of the tribe of Levi. He couldn't even offer the lamb. He couldn't offer the turtle dove, but he could offer himself. He could not even go behind. The Lord Jesus never went in behind the veil to see none of the furniture that was inside that they would not have allowed him in. Is that right? But notice here, he did not go into that. But Paul goes on to say, he didn't go into that place, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Now notice, he gets up from the grave and John chapter 20, verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, touch me not. Now this was their custom. So she comes up as normal to touch him. Now she would bow down, maybe on both knees, or prostrate herself and put her hands on his feet or on his legs. Jesus knows what she's fixing to do. And she starts toward him. And when she says, don't touch me. I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren not my disciples. Not my followers, but my brethren. What's happened, he's died the death of an unrighteous one to bring an intimacy into the family of God that had never existed before. 
So what does he do, glory to God? In order to signify what he has just done, he needs to call them by a different name. Praise the Lord. Disciples alone won't work. Amen. Followers of me won't work. But he says, I want to give them the most intimate title I can give them. Go tell my brothers. How does it feel to be a brother of God? How does it feel to be a brother of God, you saints? How does it feel to be the brother of the Messiah? Now he tells her what to say and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father to my God and your God. The intimacy of the new order. Watch this in Psalms 22, 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. You imagine the Lord Jesus. I will declare your name unto my brothers. And in the midst of the congregation I will praise thee. This is why we should praise the Lord. I don't know if you understand or not. The Lord Jesus is in our midst. He is here worshiping with us. Here the prophet said we are worshiped together. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hebrews 2.11. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. A new relationship. Invited beyond the outer court, the inner court, into the holy of holies. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You see, in the spiritual sense, God is not the father of every person on the earth. He's only the father of those who have accepted the bleeding word and been born of the Spirit of God. They are Christ's brothers. Oh, notice in verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, touch me not for I'm not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brother and say unto them, I ascend to my father. Notice the union. To my father and your father. To my God and your God. My father is the language of deity. My God is the language of humanity. Hallelujah. My Father is the language of deity. Glory to God. But my God is the language of humanity. Don't you understand where you are once you're raised from the dead spiritually? Amen. You see, the story of redemption is unfolding itself right as we all go on down to this present time. Why do we need to hear stuff like this, Brother Donnie? In order to raise our faith beyond just God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Oh, yes, if you believe and confess with thy mouth that the Lord Jesus God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I've been saved for decades. I need more than a salvation message. I need a message that will change my body. I need a message coming closer to my kinsman redeemer. (sighs) 
Notice this, when the body had been formed, the prophet says, that last name that's on the book will be recognized on the earth. The books are closed for it's the completed. The story of redemption has been completely read. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the waters, and God said, let there be light. Genesis 1-1. That's the beginning of the story. But we're coming over here to the very end. Y'all still read books, I suppose, some of you do, whether it's in digital or in paper format like this. And what do you do when you get to the end of it? Well, you get to the end when, you, when, you're, when you're looking at the Ten Commandments or whatever it is. And what does it say? The end. What for? Let you know. You're at the end. That to know that Moses ain't fixing to come back out and strike the Red Sea again. This is the end. Go home. It's over. It's finished. It's done. So when the mystery, the story of redemption is read, don't you understand what's being read? As the word is being preached in this hour, your name is being called. Oh, you say, Donnie Reagan, Harry Reagan, this woman. No, your name, the word. That's why when you hear it preached, it does something so different to you. Others laugh at it, ridicule, make fun of it. But to you, it's your family. It's your genealogy. You're hearing your family read about. You're hearing the story of redemption. The book is being read. Then we go to see him and meet him in the resurrection. Notice this in the first seal. Now the mystery of the book the reveal when the seals are broken. When the seals are completely broken and the time of redemption is over because the lamb left the intercession post and he walks out to take his claim. So where are we? We're waiting. We're in stage three. Ruth is resting. We're waiting for our Lord to complete the work of redemption. Waiting on redemption's claims. Praise the Lord. He's a mediator. But when that happens, when the real revelation happens on the seals, when the Lamb begins to come forth from the sanctuary, He's not a mediator then. Children, if you're not in, get in with all of your might. If you ain't got the Holy Ghost, don't think that the Holy Ghost is an option. It is an absolute requirement. But I've been around the message. It's not enough to be around the message. The book must be opened in your life. Many people hear the message from here. They take it in from here. They listen to tapes from here. But God wants to take the book of the mystery of your life. And show that you was out there like Ruth. You was out there in sin. You was out there like Tamar. You was out like different ones. And God took the mystery of your life. And he began to break it. And help you to realize I'm not a Reagan. I'm not a Smith. I'm not a Brown. I'm a seed of God. I'm a child of God. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. Before the foundation of the world. That's the mystery of my life. Not just 23 chromosomes of my mother and 23 of my father. I go further back than my mama's DNA. I go further back than my daddy's DNA. Jesus come to redeem those who had their names in the book. Listen to this, how wonderful. And when that last name is redeemed... 
the lamb takes the book and walks away. So when the last name is revealed, called, the lamb takes the book and walks away. What for? Change clothes, of course. Now he's fixing to get the reciprocating part of that book on the earth, which is who? The elect of God. Listen to this. Every name that was ever put on that book, Jesus came to redeem. And when that last name is redeemed, the book is closed. So our names, our identity are actually identified in the Lamb's book of life. The devil's been curious about that book ever since God made him in the beginning. Had this personal diary. He'd, he'd notice God over every now and then. No. Oh. You know, the prophet said, God took a picture of you when you was your best. Not when you was 18 or 20, but before the foundation of the world. Oh, there's a little Moses. Oh, there's little John. Well, my goodness, right over here on the very last page of the book, there's a little Harry. Oh, there's a little John. Well, there's a little Joe. There's a little Linda. There's a little so-and-so right there. Do you understand where we are? The Gentile dispensation. There might not be but one more name right down here on the bottom that God's got to redeem. What are we waiting on? The redemption's claims when the mediator will say, it is finished. Hallelujah. It is finished. He didn't intend that no one be lost. But his foreknowledge let him know who would be lost. Therefore, he could predestinate their names and put them on the book. Now listen to this. And when the book of redemption is closed and sealed with seven sealed, while it's being worked out by the mysterious powers of God, and someday when the book of redemption is finished, the Lamb takes it, the last name is called off of that, the Lamb comes forward for what he has redeemed that's his church. This is 1963. And I believe the time is close. Amen. You know why the rapture could not happen when the seals was open? I wasn't in yet. Many of you all wasn't in either. We're looking basically at a new generation here. My father wasn't in the message. My father wasn't the tabernacle. Some of you still have kin that are alive. And maybe some of you was actually in Brother Bram's meetings. But we're coming to another generation. Oh, well, the lamb, that, there's no more mercy. You done come too late to tell me that. I'm a recipient of that mercy. It ain't our place to say when there is and when there ain't. All I know is when the last name is done, God will call that last name and the book of redemption will be closed. This is so sad. When the last name comes out that was put on the Lamb's book of life that was slain before the foundation of the world. When that last name has been redeemed, 
His work is finished. He comes forth to claim what is redeemed that makes our heart bleed. Now listen to this. But if it went on a thousand years later, there would not be one more redeemed. Don't you see what he done? He sowed his seed. A sower went forth to sow his seed. And he knew exactly where that last seed would land down here in Laodicea. Praise the Lord. And when that last name is called off the book on the very last page and the very last line, and it may be a short name like that right there, and it may be so tiny it ain't got but three or four letters, it could be an Asian. could be an African. Who knows what it is? And when the last name is called, the Lamb says, it's finished. Oh, and then the same words he said on the cross? So it's aren't always the same it. So it was finished on the cross, but this won't be finished till the last name is is in, right? And if it went on another thousand years, why? Why do you say, well, grace is there for anybody whenever they want it. You don't understand the message right. He threw them out down through time and dispensed them by years and decades apart, even centuries sometimes apart. And he allowed that last seed to be thrown way out yonder somewhere, say 2022, 2023, whatever it is, and it might be way out yonder. We'll pray, oh God, send us revival. Oh God, stir us up, Lord. And where we at? We're resting between revivals. And the Lord said, I've got one more, one more. Boy, that last seed's gonna be an expensive seed, isn't it? We'll stream, we'll send preachers overseas We'll buy Bibles, we'll print books, we'll send out MP3s. Ain't no telling how much it'll cost us, but nothing compared to what it cost him. And one day, maybe like it was in some of my brothers in Zimbabwe, they went into a public restroom to use the bathroom one day. And they washed their hands. There was a garbage can standing there. And they looked in the top of it, and there was a book. It was a half of a book. So they opened that book and looked at it. Guess what it was? A message book. It was somebody that had formerly believed the message and wrote to Jeffersonville. And thankfully, the name and the address was on the bottom. So these brothers thought one give it to another, they give it to another. They thought you had to order them books in half. So they wrote to Jeffersonville because they wanted the other half. <laughs> Well, I don't know about you. I want to hear more than just God sent a prophet. I want the other half. Amen. I want the other half. Don't just point me to the cross. Point me to the other half. The redemption of the book. Taking the claim of his inheritance. Then Jesus came and called in 1964. We wonder why the revival is not going out right now. Why we don't see the enthusiasm among the people. I don't know why, but let's just think. What if it's like this? Maybe there's a little boy in here tonight or a little girl. Now he's in Tampa, Florida in 1964. And they was born over in Seattle, Washington. Now that book holds her name. 
And he come to redeem whose names was on the book. Redeem means bring back from where it fell from. And in the human race, she fell. And she can't accept that now she's too young. So maybe that little baby of yours, that little young one sitting beside you, their name is the last one. They can't understand it yet. They can't comprehend it. And we're saying, Lord, oh, come on, Jesus. Come, sweet Jesus. When are you coming, Lord? Waiting on Junior. Junior, but three years old. We'll go right along. We'll have meetings. We'll pray. We'll, we'll preach. We'll, we'll do all of this. And we're all saying, oh, Lord, what's going on? Oh, Lord, what's going on? Waiting for Junior to grow up. Praise the Lord. She can't accept it now. She's too young. So the church will slug, slug right along. Just play. Ah, play along. We'll have meetings and so forth. Till that last person is brought in. Then the book will be closed. No more added. Then it's all over. You mean, Brother Donnie, he would do that for one? One of his? Yes. I'm really glad of that myself. Because that last one could have been me. It could have been you. Might be your wife, your husband, your little boy, your little girl. So what are we doing, Ruth? We're resting. Now remember, she had been given those six measures of barley that was to tide her over until the work of redemption was done. So she lays out her veil. Boaz loads it down. Read it to you a few weeks ago, about 75 pounds worth of stuff. She sets it up on top of her head. And there she goes. You imagine her reaching down in there on the way home and saying, I wonder what's in there. She reached down inside of there so well, faith is the substance. 1947. Wow. At thy word, 1948. She said, I'm going to reach on the other side. Reached down there and got the, oh Lord, the deity of Jesus Christ, 1949. And she must have opened it and found a quote in where it said, deity is no longer in heaven. It's no longer in a manger, but it's in you. You imagine little Ruth going down through there and she just stopped and said, I've got to run around this tree for a minute. I'm about to have me a Holy Ghost spell. I'll tell you one thing, friend. I believe there's still stimulation of revelation when a believer finds their place in this word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, dear Jesus. Lord, I have to be honest today. Some of these things are just about more than our poor minds can comprehend. How could that holy, sinless, perfect one die the deaths of an unrighteous man? Die impure out of the presence of God. I hope we see it clearer today, Father. And I hope we see it clearer why that we point people to the cross 
through the cross to the open book. I know some message people get so offended. They just get so offended. When it's like you're trying to take away from the cross. We're not trying to take away anything. We're on our journey through the cross to that book. We can find out who we are. Oh, Lord, I pray. In the name of Jesus, if there's one here today that's not ready. Lord, every day that goes by, we're hearing it more and more and more. Our government, Lord, has purchased millions of dollars of drugs that will help people deal with a nuclear war. The Department of Health and Human Services has purchased millions, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of drugs in case an atomic bomb is dropped so they can ship those drugs around to get to people. But Lord God, no doubt we're down here in Tennessee and we're probably not even on their map as far as the government's concerned. But I'm so glad that there was a toxin that has been produced 2,000 years ago. I don't have to wait for Washington to give me something that will keep me through radioactive this and that and the other. But you filled your human body that day at the river when you come down in the form of a dove, which in other words was in the form of a spiritual hypodermic needle. And you loaded yourself in that visitation. Hallelujah. And you vaccinated Jesus Christ. He walked into the water a man. And he walked out a God man. Hallelujah. Oh Jesus. Then when you come back on the day of Pentecost. You said now I've come back. I'm going to give Simon Peter the prescription. What do you say Dr. Simon? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. And you shall receive your vaccine. Lord, our nation is divided. Our world is divided about the COVID shot and the COVID vaccine, the flu vaccine and this vaccine. Oh, Lord God, I don't know so much about that, but I know one thing. I'm sure glad I've got that Holy Ghost vaccine. Before Russia ever turns loose one of their bombs, where they turn loose their, their hypersonic bomb or whether they turn loose one of them bombs that is so powerful that within the first few seconds it's a great illumination of fire and light and explosion. Within the next 30 seconds it absorbs all of the breathable oxygen in the air and every human being in that vicinity will absolutely starve to death for oxygen. Whether it's that one or whether it's Satan 1 or Satan 2 or Satan 57, it don't make a bitter difference because before it ever comes to this old earth, we're going to be gone in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Hallelujah. Because we have done, been vaccinated. Amen. By the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Lord, if there's any here today that haven't got it, may today be the day they get their shot. Granted, I pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Oh, we worship you, Lord God. We worship you, Lord. Friends, can't you see why he is so worthy of our praise? It's no wonder that the angels were so overwhelmed by what they saw and why they praise him and adore him and love him. They still haven't got over, Brother John. What happened? 
they still haven't got over what happened that he would lay aside all of that. You understand that the angels are still mesmerized. They, they stoop over and look into the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the word Peter used, that they desire to look into it to this day, but they still can't understand it. How would God love them the way he does? How would he put up with them? How would he do all that he does? And yet he's so consumed with them. He loves them so much. He busies himself with them. He loves them so much. If they've got a sick dog and request prayer, he'll heal them. Or you say, don't do it. Don't tell me. I just prayed for one the other day and God healed it. A dumb old possum. A lot of the people on that day didn't know Elijah's address, but God told a possum where Elijah's house was. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If he was concerned about an old possum, which most of us would hate. Most of us, why we wouldn't, we'd run over a possum. We'd never want nothing to do with no possum. But God said, that's my possum. The Spirit of God led her. said, go on, honey. Well, God, you know people don't hate me. I look like a skinned down rat. I got a big long tail. Look at people think, I'm, again, God, please don't send me over and say, go back to Elijah's house and I'll heal you. And here she comes. She walked up sick and walked away well. If the Lord God would heal a possum, what about you today? If the Lord God would heal all oh, a little two-inch fish down there in Dale Hollow Lake in Kentucky, not too far from where I was raised, and if God would give that little fishy back its life, what about those of you that the doctor says you'll never live through this or that or the other? You're going to believe God's report or the report of the devil? I choose to believe the report of the Lord. I refuse to believe Satan's report that we will never make it. We've already made it by the grace of God. We're not survivors. We're overcomers. I love you. See you, Lord willing, Wednesday night over there. We're truly learning the scripture. We're pilgrims and strangers. Let's sing with all of our heart. Let's worship the Lord just a few minutes. We'll be leaving. You can have the evening with your family and friends. We've been made more than conquerors. Overcomers in this time. Yes, we've been
Somebody say praise the Lord. Give him a good hand clap of praise this morning. We're going to keep pressing on. Yes, we're going to keep pressing on. 
tries to stop you, turn you aside. Say no need for you to go on, no need to try. Even if there is a rapture, you'll never make it in. Why don't you just say, Satan, I'll prove you a liar again. We're going to keep pressing on, on and on and on. We're going to keep pressing on, keep pressing on. We're going to keep pressing on, pressing on. To the See you Wednesday night, Lord willing. Everybody comes Wednesday night. God bless you. You're dismissed in the fear of the Lord. Play some more of that, brethren, if you will.